Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome in to another episode of Real Sports Talk by Naraj. Hope you're all doing well on this Tuesday, October 5th, 2021. Not to get into today's episode as, you know, we've seen the start of the NBA preseason go on. Uh, obviously some teams are getting up to their speed. Uh, obviously, you know, roster spots, injuries, getting back to that feeling of obviously the season starting up soon enough. So that's going to be great to get into. Um, you know, obviously, anticipation is building ahead of the NBA season opener, which should be a really good one um, with the Bucks and Nets. You know, uh, obviously the Lakers in action as well. So, I'm going to kick off today's episode by just going over a quick recap of the Monday night football game between the Las Vegas Raiders and the LA Chargers as that was a very interesting game. Um, And as of right now, the LA Chargers are at the top of the AFC West division. So... That will be something to watch out for going forward. Um, you know, obviously, we've seen some really good things from Justin Herbert um, and this team overall. Although there was a couple of things that, you know, could have been improved on. Um, and we're going to find out how that goes with Brandon Staley uh, as the season rolls on. So, the Chargers won 28 to 21 or no, it was yeah, 20 to 21 I think it was the final score 20 to 14 something along those lines um, yeah I think 20 to 14 maybe was the score yeah. and you know it was a game in which you just saw obviously uh, two, two halves right uh, it was one where in the first half it was all chargers they were clicking on offense, clicking on defense. Um, you saw them get after Derek Carr. The Raiders really didn't have a whole lot of offense going on at all. Um, you saw the Chargers play with some pace. You saw Austin Eckler be a factor, Keenan Allen, uh, the tight ends being big time, and Jared Cook, and the other one. So you saw them kind of play there with pace, move the chains. You know, get off the field, uh, three and outs on the Raiders. And it was a game in which they just kept pace. The defense was getting after Carr, as I said, blitzing and disguising certain things. Um, you know, we didn't see a whole lot of Henry Ruggs in the first half um, or Darren Wall. Um, but as the game went on, the Raiders recovered. Uh, they came out in the second half, were able to get it going with Hunter Renflow getting a touchdown pass. Their defense playing a little bit better, although they were obviously a little bit thin in the, with, the, with, the, with the cornerbacks. And so they were able to find a way to uh, make it a game, make it a little bit interesting down the stretch. Uh, as I said, uh, they had their chances. Uh, they were able to get a couple of touchdowns, as I mentioned. You saw Darren Waller get a touchdown in the uh, second half, in, you know, in the end zone. So. The Raiders made a little bit of a comeback. Obviously, they have been the um, best team so far up to this point in terms of like 
coming back from like seven half deficits. Um, so, you know, the running game was a factor in the second half, not so in the first half. Um, there was a missed field goal by the Raiders. Um, you know, that kind of gave way to a couple of penalties that were called as well, which extends some drives. Um, but the Chargers just were able to kind of hold on, get obviously good field positioning, and you saw them kind of put it away, you know. So, I mean, Herbert obviously is playing extremely well, and you just kind of seeing that happen a little bit more now with this offense and offensive coordinator and Joe Brady. Uh, they are just doing a good job of just being able to spread the ball out, get things going, and they're playing at a very good level right now. You know, they did get an interception on Derek Carr in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, so it was a game in which the Chargers controlled the pace. You wish they they would have been a little bit better in terms of their finish because you know they had three touchdown lead and it felt like obviously with that stadium, the crowd. Obviously, a huge part of that crowd are our Raider fans, and they definitely, you know, were uh, bringing it. But the execution, the ability to hang on and like finish the game off, the Chargers definitely have to improve on that. They did get it, get it done, uh, but you do want to see a little bit better um, in terms of just the flow of this offense because you saw like you know, a couple of protection issues. They blitz. Herbert, a couple of pressure situations. Keenan Allen had a couple of drops. You know, Mike Williams is still a good wide receiver. He just needs more touches overall, I, w- I would think, uh, in this offense. But, you know, Jared Cook was huge. Jared Cook was huge. And also the fact that, I mean, Brandon Steady was aggressive. All right? There were a couple of fourth down situations. The Raiders could have punted the ball. They went for it. Sorry, the Chargers could have the ball. They actually went for it. Um, so you saw a couple of those drives be extended, and obviously that kind of played a factor in this game. So, you know, Raiders are now uh, you know, three and one. Obviously, they wish they could have started better, and that's the thing with the Raiders is that they need their uh, they need to start better in the first half of these games. Obviously, they've been winning with playing relatively well in the second half and getting those key drives. You gotta continue to start well off the game and be involved early in the contest you know because there were opportunities there to be made that they just missed out on so moving on I want to continue with my NBA uh, season previews uh, I've been doing it obviously off last year's standings and um, the two teams that I talked about are two teams that may be linked uh, for, for a while in the NBA as we know that Luka Doncic and Trey Young, obviously, both guys um, were, you know, in a in terms of the trade that was made during that time. That they swapped picks at that time, and so you know, there's a chance that Luka might have ended up in Atlanta, and there's a chance that Trey Young may have ended up in Dallas. Um, but for both teams, it's really worked out. I would say big time as uh, you've seen both stars come into the NBA and just really take over um, and make a name for themselves early on in their NBA careers and so you just look at both both of them so young so talented and they both do so much for their teams um, that you know now the focus is building 
you know, I want to be able to build off their, you know, their growth and their success and see if they can actually make a run, you know, to uh, NBA Finals or, you know, to obviously a longer playoff run. Now, for one star that, that, that did happen last year, for the other, obviously there's a lot of things that remain to be, uh, you know, played out and seen. But it is worth, uh, you know, talking about just because of how these teams are built, terms of their shooting, their performances, you know, those things are are coming into play big time, I would say. And I see a lot of that in terms of, you know, the front offices and the changing leadership, right? So for the Dallas Mavericks... You know, after a number of years, they have new, you know, kind of a new power structure in place. Where uh, look at them bringing in Jason Kidd back as their head coach, or you know, as, as a coach now instead of you know, obviously he was there as a player for a number of years, started his career there in Dallas, won a championship there. So now Jason Kidd returns um, to the Dallas Mavericks under new GM Nico Harrison, who obviously has worked with. A lot of people in the NBA um, under the scenes, and you just look at the Atlanta Hawks. On the other hand, you know they've been patient um, in terms of building their roster, but they also kind of pushed the right buttons. You know, they hired Nate McMillan, uh, let go Lloyd Pierce, which you know a lot. Of, uh, I also felt at that time that Lloyd Pierce deserved more of a shot. But looking at that coaching change for the Atlanta Hawks, it did one, it did big things for them in that season. Last season, you know, being able to make a run there, um, all the way to the Eastern Conference, uh, I think, uh, finals. So let me start with the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks have been, you know, right there, kind of stuck in the last two years, being eliminated by the LA Clippers. Right, um, the Clipper. Uh, both times the Mavericks have made the postseason. You know, they've lost to the Clippers. Um, that probably won't be the case this year because, you know, uh, the Clippers are going to be dealing with a couple of injuries and maybe they may not have a higher seed. Um, but for the Dallas Mavericks, like I said, they went 42 and 30 last year, you know, finishing right there, you know, in the, um, I think the fifth slot or fourth slot, one of those slots, I believe. Um, so. The Dallas Mavericks, you look at what's going to be, you know, something to watch out for this season. So, Luka did sign that Supermax extension, right? So, he's locked up for the foreseeable future. Obviously, posting up career highs and points and assists. And we know that he's been able to do so much with the ball in his hands. And so, one thing that was obviously an issue last season was the relationship between him and, you know, Kristaps Porzingis. Now, Porzingis obviously coming back from injury. You know, he's had a tough time of obviously getting the ball, getting touches, producing at a high level. Injuries have definitely played a role. You know, he hasn't been healthy as much, you know. But when he's on the court, you know, obviously there's a lot of different ways to think he can be you know, a contributor. And we've just kind of seen that Luca has been taking a lot of shots, which he's, he's so really good at doing so. And, you know, he's been carrying the, you know, he carried the Mavericks a lot, I would say last season down the stretch you know but in order for the Mavericks to really uh, contend for NBA championship they're gonna need a second star they're gonna need a couple of role players to really step up now Porzingis is still 
you know, with his size and his talent, he can still be a great uh, scoring option number two on this Dallas Mavericks team. But they have to play well together. They have to play well together, and that's something that hasn't happened as much. You know, you've seen glimpses of it. You've seen some games where they have done that, but you know, they need to be a little bit more creative in getting Porzingis more touches in, in the paint or in, on the outside. You know, but he's you know he's been playing as a spot-up shooter quite a bit, I would say, and you know they gotta be able to find ways to get him ball in the post or try to use his size and use his advantage. You know, he needs to be a little better as well because you know he's been a little bit off with his shots and his you know his game, but he still can get it done because he can move the ball, he can make all those moves. So with Jason Kidd coming back now, you know obviously his third coaching in here. Jason Kidd really has to find a way to be creative with his offense. You know, you got to see a little bit more of a better run offense, you know, where, yes, Luka's going to be the main ball handler, no doubt, but they got to find ways to keep Luka, you know, fresh and in the flow of this offense where other guys can step up and make shots. I think that is something that needs to happen for the Mavericks to take a, a step forward, you know. It comes down to being able to execute and get everybody to play well around you. You know, overall, you want to see more better play from, obviously, Tim Hardaway, uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, um, you know, Jalen Brunson, who's obviously one of their draft picks that uh, in this year's draft. So you've got to see some of the supporting uh, members of the Dallas Mavericks be better, you know, around, you know, around uh, Porzingis and Doncic. And, you know, they did add, you know, Reggie Bullock, who's obviously a, a good shooter, um, you know, uh, they also signed, I think, Jalen, um, you know, they added, they added a couple of nice role players who obviously haven't had a whole lot of time to shine, um, so the Mavericks are a young team with a couple of, obviously, veterans, and now this is about Jason Kidd, and, you know, for the, for the you know, for the Dallas Mavericks, I think, for this coming up you know, NBA season, they really just have to get out of the first round. And they have the talent to do so. Um, I think that what you got to just see is them be able to obviously play well. I mean, look at the, as a defender. You know, you want to see some signs of progress from there. We know that he can score and do all those things. He can create his shots, be, you know, creating assists and everything like that. But you want to see him be a better defender because we know that in the you know so far this you know in his career you've seen a lot of you know players go at him defensively and you know sometimes he's going to be able to do it sometimes he's not going to be able to do it but he's not an all-world defender and not everybody's going to be that but he needs to be that in some cases obviously when he goes up against some of these better players you know against uh, you know against a LeBron or a Paul George you just want to see him be a little better defensively you know and still be effective you know so and his shot making his decision making has to be a little bit better as well and hopefully Jason Kidd will be able to have a have an impact on that you know he Jason Kidd is the key for the, for the Mavericks this season I mean you know he they had obviously a lot of choices they could have promoted from within their head coaching ranks they decided to obviously bring Jason Kidd in now he's bringing a a you know pretty good coaching staff with him and you with Jared Dudley and Kristen got a good coaching group around him that's going to obviously be able to execute what he wants to do and so 
For me, I think that the Mavericks are going to be another top four, top five seed in the Western Conference. And I think that they're going to find a way to get out of the first round this time. I think that they will have more success. Maybe you'll see a lot, you know, more efficient Luka Doncic. Uh, I think you'll see a more efficient play from the supporting cast of the uh, Dallas Mavericks. But they're, they're huge. Uh, you just want to see some of the guys that played last year continue to get some opportunities to, um, to play and score and you know if you can get more out of this bench the second unit then it's going to make it a lot more easier for Luka Doncic to obviously run the offense and do his thing so you know how Porzingis and Doncic uh, you know coexist how their chemistry will be this season will be something to watch also Jason Kidd and how much can he take what he's learned from his coaching experiences and being with the Nets for a while and kind of taking away from the game, you know, being the Lakers. You just hope that he's able to uh, really stick here in Dallas and be their solution long term. Um, you know, and hopefully they'll be able to have some much, much better playoff success because with Lucas talent and they got built around him and like I said, they have a new GM in place so how they can build this roster to his strengths will be go a long way and deciding the Mavericks are going to be able to contend for an NBA championship. But i like them to finish in the top four, top five this year in the Western Conference. Maybe a contender, possibly to the Lakers, if they can get their chemistry going, obviously, very well. And like I said, in the Western Conference, you're going to see a couple of things. Um, obviously, with Denver, um, you, know, being, you know, being healthy and having their, their star back. You know, the Clippers can't be slept on just yet. You know, you got the members of Grizzlies and Pelicans. You know, so you got a lot of teams that are going to be coming for the top spot. So, Mavericks definitely have a lot of work to do. And hopefully Jason Kidd can uh, steer them in the right direction past the first round this upcoming season. So, now I want to transition to talking about the Atlanta Hawks and their preview for the upcoming 2021-22 NBA season. So the Atlanta Hawks finished uh, 41-31 uh, last year. They had a huge run to the Eastern Conference Finals with a, you know, loss to the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, obviously, towards the end of that series, Trey Young did, you know, was kind of banged up, but no excuses. They got beat by a better Milwaukee Bucks team that was more physical, more better in terms of just being able to, you know, get it done at that time. So. Atlanta Hawks had a uh, had a huge um, you know a huge season. You know they obviously you know beat the Knicks, which was annoying to watch. Uh, but I'm just digressing at this point. You know, and they beat the Sixers, and then we saw what happened the rest of the way. So Atlanta Hawks show a lot of improvement. Obviously, there were those couple of seasons they had to make the postseason, um, but they really stepped up and played their best basketball. I mean, saw, you saw Trey Young do. Obviously, sensational things, and he's been really great in his career so far. From the three-point line, from the off the dribble, he's just been really, really good. And you know, they did resign him to a extension, a supermax extension, as well as John Collins. And so the, the Atlanta Hawks' size and rebounding with Capella and you know, and John Collins was was really a, a big point for this team last season. And they really played so well. Of their overall defense, getting shots up with Bogdanovich and Lou Williams, and so you look at you know the Atlanta Hawks, and you know they obviously have high expectations this season because of what they did last year. Now, you do want to see 
their shooting continues to be big from the three-point line. You know, DeAndre Hunter is a name to watch, I think, for the Hawks this season. He obviously was a big part of them, um, in, obviously in their draft building you know, and stuff like that. He has been obviously dealing with some injuries as of late in his career, but having DeAndre Hunter on the court is going to be huge, I think. Uh, you just want to see if he can kind of progress and play well because we, we saw a lot that um, the way that teams are kind of defending the Atlanta Hawks is, you know, you want to kind of force Trey Young to pass it up or get the open pass and it's about knocking down shots. And so the Atlanta Hawks are going to need a lot more of that again this season uh, to make a run back to the Eastern Conference Finals. They're going to need uh, other players around Trey Young to step up. Now we know that, you know, with the obviously the scheme changes and stuff like that, more teams are going to be able to obviously try to be physical with the uh, Atlanta Hawks. And so, obviously, Trey Young's development has been really good so far in his career. He's going to continue to ascend and, and be a good scorer. It's just about now how well you know is he used in terms of, you know, his skill sets. You know, he can be a great passer. He can obviously shoot. Um, so. You know, with the Hawks and their offense, I mean, it's about picking, you know, picking your, like, you know, which guy do you want to take a shot or two. And I think that Bogdanovich, Kevin Herter, um, there are a couple of guys that uh, are going to be key this season for the Atlanta Hawks. I think that you know, Trey Young is going to be what he's going to be. He's going to obviously attack the rim, try to force those foul shots. Now, obviously, he won't do that all the time because with the NBA rule change, you know, with him initiating contact, that might not be a case. Um, but, you know, Nate McMillan did a, a tremendous job last season with his team, pushing all the right buttons. And so, um, you know, I think that if they continue to shoot the ball well, obviously it will be better in defense. They should be right back up there uh, competing for a top spot in the Eastern Conference. Um with Nick McMillan, you know, just looking at how he's been throughout his career, you know, they obviously didn't add a whole lot in free agency. They kind of stayed with it and, you know, relying on getting their key players back. So, you know, it is a young roster with some good veterans, uh, a couple of good players um, that can give you quality minutes. So, you know, you just want to see now their defense, you know, be a little bit better than it was last season. Um, and I think that, albeit like the Atlanta Hawks might finish again in the similar spot this season, you know, with all the changes in the Eastern Conference and the teams that have obviously added their rosters and stuff like that, uh, you're gonna see obviously, um, you know, teams be able to kind of match that firepower of the Atlanta Hawks and in their defense and their ability to get stops, you know, down the stretch, that's gonna be key. So, you know. Gallinari is a name also to like watch out this season because we know that you know he can shoot, he can score. Um, we didn't see a whole lot of that, you know, although in the playoff series. So, you know, around Trey Young, they got still a whole lot of great shooters, and so, you know, it's just about execution at this point for the Atlanta Hawks. Um, but they are obviously a rising team. You know, they obviously played well last season, but now it's about expectations, right? expectations and can they kind of meet those expectations you know Trey Young um, obviously has talked about you know being able to play at a high pace run the ball you know not run the ball but like you know 
the Hawks played with pace last season, right? A lot of three-point shooting. And so, you know, in terms of physicality and they're on the perimeter, you know, you just want to see if they can kind of match that and be really good um, when it matters against a Miami Heat team or a Boston Celtics team or Milwaukee Bucks team, you know. That are those are the three teams that come to mind. Uh, that the Atlanta Hawks and obviously the New York Knicks are also going to be in the mix, no doubt. Because yes, the Knicks obviously, you know, lost to the Hawks, and you know, but you look at what the Knicks have been able to do. I mean, it just comes down to obviously matchups and stuff like that. So obviously the Hawks are likely to get out of the first round, uh, but I don't know if they're going to be. I don't know if they're good enough just yet. To be a serious NBA contender, like for, for, for an NBA, you know, finals appearance. I think they still a couple of players away from that, and I think that yes, they had a good season last year, but it was the first good season in, in a while. And so keeping it up for for a second straight year under Nick McMillan, I think a lot more teams in the Eastern Conference are gonna be able to kind of figure out ways to slow down Trey Young, and that will really come down to then what the rest of the Atlanta Hawks do. Who can be that second? third star on the team, which we did see John Collins be at some points last season. We saw it, you know, be, you know, obviously Bogdanovich and Kevin Hooter. So that's the key is who's going to be that second star um, on the Atlanta Hawks and will it be enough in, in crunch time for the team? So I want to finish up today's episode talking about college football and recapping week five um, and also getting into a couple of other things that have been uh, going on um, and kind of offer my thoughts on it. So week five, the college football season, uh, obviously there were a couple of games that definitely I was off the mark. Um, You know, I thought Arkansas would give Georgia a really good contest, a good game, but that never really transpired. So, um, you know, Georgia was dominant uh, from the get-go and really uh, took uh, care of business at home in a game that they had to have. And Georgia right now is just clicking on all cylinders. They're really playing well. Um, And who knows, they might be able to pass Alabama uh, in the rankings if they continue to uh, Cincinnati, uh, number seven Cincinnati got a big win over Notre Dame on the road, 24-13. Desmond Riddler came out and had a great game, uh, continued to show why he's such a great quarterback. Uh, and this team is playing at a high level, although with Cincinnati and their ranking right now in the college football um you know, standings and rankings, they're going to need some help, no doubt, to get into the top five, top four, you know, because of their schedule is such that, you know, they're going to be taking on teams with, you know, either a sub-500 record or, you know, teams that are good but not obviously on the level of some other of these, you know, conferences. So Cincinnati does have a good team. They deserve to get a little bit higher in the rankings, but they're going to need some help. Uh, from some of the teams that are ahead of them as of right now in the standings, you know, so that uh, definitely will be into play. 
I will say one thing I did not see coming in, in week five of the college football season. I did not see Oregon uh, losing to Stanford 31 to 24 in overtime. You know, I feel like Oregon was really good. Uh, was playing so well, obviously, uh, against that when against Ohio State a couple of weeks back, but. You know, they just got beat um, by a better Stanford team that had been looking to kind of get back on track. And Oregon just didn't get enough from their quarterback, you know, Anthony Brown. You know, they weren't able to um, get enough possessions in this game. And Stanford played a pretty good, neat game. You know, they didn't allow um, Oregon to control the need. Oregon work for it and, you know... Stanford did end up scoring the last, I think, 17 points in the game or so to win. Um, so uh, that was an impressive performance by Stanford. And Oregon's playoff hopes very much uh, are still alive, I would say, even after a loss. But, you know, this is one of those games in which they could have had, they could have won. Um, and, you know, they kind of came up short. So. Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to watch how they bounce back from this one and what they'll be able to do uh, going forward. Ohio State, um, you know, took down Rutgers in a pretty, pretty big fashion. I mean, I thought Rutgers had played much better, but they just could not play well enough that I thought they were going to play. And Ohio State all of a sudden is starting to look a little bit better now, obviously after... And, you know, that early loss to Oregon. Ohio State has come on a little bit. They're playing much better. Obviously, their opponents and their quality opponents is not right And Ohio State may, after all, have a chance to get back in the top 10 or top 5. Um, but like I said, they're going to need a lot of help along the way to get there, in my opinion. Number 10, Florida. Um, lost to Kentucky. Uh, the Gators had a golden opportunity to win this game. They missed some opportunities, a lot of penalties. Uh, it was a very sloppy game for Florida in terms of they weren't able to get those big plays. Like I said, a lot of penalty yards. Can they let Kentucky kind of hang around in this game? And you know, Kentucky, obviously an unranked team, uh, they just found a way to stay right there and kind of take this game late with a defensive stand. Um, so, you know, Florida, I think their playoff hopes are pretty much done um, after this game. And you just hope that they can just find ways to uh, identify some talent that can be back there next season. Uh, just a recruitment, you know, they, de- they definitely have to step that up a lot more than they have been doing. You know, Florida was the better team than Kentucky, but I guess it came down to down the stretch. You're seeing college football already this season that there's a lot of games that obviously are one side, but there are just some games that some of the ranked teams are kind of falling early on, and we haven't really seen that a whole a whole lot. Um, but it is happening, and so you know, outside the top five, you're seeing a lot more uh, teams that w- wouldn't be there in those spots be there uh, because you're just you're seeing overall. Uh, competitive games, obviously teams are still kind of getting used to their styles and everything like that but, you know I think that with Florida, I mean they really just are going to need a lot of help uh, to get back in the top 5 or top 10 and they have a long way to go I think in terms of just being able to 
get back to playing really good football because you know we know that last year they had a lot of success with Joe Trask, but this year it's been kind of a mixed kind of bag, so they'll have to definitely identify that going forward. You had number four Penn State went 24 to nothing over Indiana. Indiana is a huge surprise of this uh, season. They're one of those teams that I had said that could kind of take a step back, and they are taking a step back as they just don't have it going right now. And Penn State is taking care of business, playing extremely well once again, getting off to a good start, getting some good wins. And, you know, it is going to be a really great game next week when Penn State takes on number three, Iowa. Um, because these two teams have been off, you know, have been playing very well in the Big Ten. Uh, I mean, Iowa is coming off a 51 to 14 uh, win over Maryland, which was very impressive. Um, impressive in the sense that obviously Maryland's uh, quarterback Talia Tagaviola obviously was off to a really hot start this season. It was a battle of undefeated teams. Um, but, Mar- uh, but Maryland just could not get it going. I mean, he threw, I think, five interceptions. So, <laughs> I mean, a rough game for, you know, Talia Tagaivola. I mean, Iowa just really dominated, uh, ran the ball extremely well, just got a lot of opportunities, good field positioning. And Iowa is just really clicking on all cylinders. And I think the game next week um, is going to be a big one. You know, number four versus number three. I think based on the latest college football rankings, uh, this will be a huge game. Um, and I think that um, this game is really big. Um, I think more so for Penn State, just knowing that what they have on their schedule left. I mean, a matchup with Ohio State still awaits. You know, so. Uh, this is a game in which I can't wait to talk about a little bit more in preview um, in terms of a game that could be close next week in, in week six of the college football season. You know, as for the other results across the college football landscape, uh, Michigan um, and, Jim Har- and Jim Harbaugh, they've been playing relatively well. They went to Wisconsin and won. So the Wolverines are looking very good. Um, you know, obviously we know that Jim Harbaugh's had a tough time of being able to win those big time games. The big games are still coming from Michigan, and so that will be really the key thing for Jim Harbaugh and this team. Uh, some of the games coming up, uh, being able to find ways to win those games will be very crucial. So overall, I mean, you saw quite a bit of movement in the top 15, top 10 with the college football rankings. You know, with Alabama, they've been obviously very very good overall this season winning a lot of games the only close game that that Alabama has had so far um, is the game obviously against Florida but other than that Alabama has been pretty dominant and so next week they're I mean this coming Saturday they're taking on Texas A&M you know at the Texas A&M stadium so you're going to see now, obviously, on the road a little bit, you know, Bryce Young has been off to a hot start, you know, he's obviously had a really good run so far, you know, so you just want to see now if Alabama and Georgia, you know, depending on who they play, their matchups coming up, will they be able to stay on track, because if it stays this way, both of them most likely will be facing off, uh, possibly, 
um, in the SCC championship game, maybe, or it could be uh, a case where both teams, um, even despite maybe getting one loss down the stretch, might still get in. So there's a lot of things to kind of watch out for, you know, kind of hit, hitting the midway point of the season, you know, this season, and uh, it just comes down to matchups and obviously style points. But more importantly, the conference championship games that will happen this year, those always have a role in deciding some of the team's playoff fates. So that's something to watch out for going forward. So now I want to transition and just talk about a couple of things that uh, have been going on. Um, let me start with uh, Baba Wallace, uh, who um, won a uh, NASCAR race at Talahega. And this is significant because he is the first uh, black driver to win a NASCAR Cup race since Wendell Scott back in 1963. Obviously, um, people do not know Bubba Wallace, NASCAR driver, turned full-time last year. Uh, He's gone through a lot of adversity, a lot of um, things, um, but he finally came through with a big 143 career start. Uh, on Monday, obviously it was a you know rain condensed kind of event, but it's significant because just about Wallace, he's like one of those um, you know unique individuals in NASCAR that have been able to kind of uh, bring up social justice and talk about issues. So he's been very open about a lot of things, and obviously last year, uh, you know, he kind of spoke publicly about the Confederate flag and. You know, then NASCAR went ahead and banned that from the races, and then you saw, you know, there was a noose found in his car, and, and you know, after an investigation, it turns out that you know there was nothing really to it. But you know, obviously NASCAR, a lot of uh, of his uh, contemporaries, you know, came together. They stood in solidarity of you know supporting Bubba Wallace and obviously what he stands for, what he's been able to do, and he came through. Like I said. Um, almost an entire year of just being able to kind of battle through the diversity of the haters, people who thought that he should have not spoken up. Uh, but he stayed strong, humble all the way through. You know, um, obviously he's been very inspired by Michael Jordan, as Jordan does own his, you know, 23XI racing team. So, you know, overall, you've just seen a lot of support from Wallace, and it was good to see him kind of get that, uh, that first career, like, victory. Uh, Tallahaga obviously is a historical place for a lot of NASCAR drivers to win a race for. So, very nice to see him get that um, get that win. But most importantly, kind of seeing his journey, what he kind of went through the last year. People kind of like, you know, going after him on social media and saying that, you know, the beliefs and all this. And, you know, but he really just wanted to use his voice, use his platform in NASCAR to bring up, you know, the conversation of more diversity and more openness and more ideas more communication overall and I think NASCAR obviously has improved a little bit in that in that light because of what Bubba Wallace did and I think he'll continue to do that um, in other ways and hopefully he'll have more and more success uh, going forward now I do want to get into a couple of things um, that have been happening in the NFL uh, I didn't get a chance to really talk about this I just want to kind of throw it out there you know there was obviously a couple of interesting uh, post-game comments by Jim Harbaugh and Vic Vangio. 
John Harper with Baltimore Ravens, Big Ben to Denver Broncos. You know, towards the end of that game, um, you know, you saw Denver Broncos try to go for a touchdown in the in the final few seconds of the game, and then you had the Ravens who decided rather than taking a knee uh, to have Lamar Jackson, I think, uh, take a run so they can get to the hundred yard rushing mark. Because they had a streak going on, you know, for like most consecutive games, over 100 yards rushing. And so, you know, Big Vangio kind of came at John Harbaugh saying that they don't obviously value player. I'm kind of paraphrasing here, you know, kind of saying something along the lines of, you know, they're not, you know, taking kind of player safety and thought that it was, you know, bullshit and crap. <laughs> and then you have John Harbaugh who, on the other hand, was saying like, you know, taking care of his own team's concerns, you know, kind of doing what his players believe in, what he wants to do, you know, and, you know, he mentioned that the Broncos trying to go for a touchdown there in the game, you know, you're not going to get a 16-point play or anything like that. So, kind of a little bit of back and forth there in terms of comments, but, you know, a lot of people have been saying, you know, that, you know, is this good for the sport, not good for the sport. Look, you have two guys in, in Jim Harbaugh and Vic Banjo who are very familiar with each other, both have been on the same staff in Baltimore a long time ago and so you know if you're the Broncos and if you're Vic Bangio yes unfortunately your quarterback did get hurt and it does suck that you have to you know you have to play without him the rest of the game but you know if you're a good defense if you're if you don't like they got to stop it you know you got to stand up and do something about it so you know the Ravens did what they had to do I mean a lot of players get motivated by team records and things along those natures so honestly I think that this was great to see this kind of dialogue between two coaches obviously it wasn't like direct direct but in the media it was great to see because you know obviously to like when it comes out to the end of the game you know you take a knee and game's over and there's sometimes when you don't do that and there's a big issue of it so you know it, it comes and goes but to me this one I don't think uh, Jim Harbaugh was out of line. Uh, no one's really wrong in the situation, but uh, I think that uh, just looking back at it, I think that uh, what the Ravens did was was important, and and they wanted to do it from themselves, which you know, you know, you can't fault that. You know, they obviously have been so good in doing that, and they played a pretty good game. Obviously, you know, you'd love to see obviously the the friendships and the mutual respect always be the case in the NFL and it will be but there are just some cases like this where you know you can kind of get both sides but if I had to pick one side I'm picking Jim Harbaugh because I think that Denver had plenty of opportunities to make a comeback in this game and yeah you're down 23-7 going for it in the end zone a couple of passes I mean yeah you want to get a score but you know, it wasn't going to do you any well, uh, you know, at that point. So, um, give time to the opposition and they don't decide to take a knee, you know, that's their choice. And I think that um, it should be interesting to watch if these two teams, you know, somehow square off again this year. It would be obviously something we're talking about if they do, uh, which is what a lot of people have been saying, like, oh, if these two meet again, it's going to be really interesting in terms of, like, the handshake and the uh, <laughs> and the hostility. So, you know, that would be something to watch out for. 
And I want to end with one more topic um, that I think is really important to talk about. And, you know, it's along the lines of, obviously, you know, with Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer has been through a lot in his coaching career. You know, he's won a lot of games at the college level. You know, having success winning national champions, um, you know, with Ohio State and, you know, with Florida. And, you know, now you look at Urban Myers. I mean, he's going through a couple of interesting situations right now. Um, you know, the Jaguars, believe it or not, and I really did not look at this too seriously, but they've lost 19 games, I believe. Um, they've lost 19 games. And this is dating back to the end of the season, uh, last season. So, you know, you have Trevor Lawrence, you know, you have the excitement with obviously bringing in some players, um, you know, like Etienne and in the free agent period, you know, trading for, you know, a tight end and Dan Arnold. So the Jaguars are off to an 0-4 start and yeah, they had a heartbreaking loss against the Cincinnati Bengals and so they've had a lot of losing go on and Urban Meyer obviously has never been in this kind of situation where you know he's obviously lost four games in a row you know the team obviously is getting better week to week but you're still not seeing them produce any results and the NFL unfortunately is a whole you know about a results business you gotta produce every week to get your team a win and so the Jaguars aren't getting that done. And so obviously Evan Meyer has been kind of in a situation where, you know, he didn't fly back home with the team and, you know, with family and those kind of things. And you just kind of see a lot of things being talked about him now based on the videos that have surfaced. And all I will say is that Evan Meyer is a good coach. He has a good mind. And, you know, there are just some sports where... You know, coaches can really, you know, do their best. And what you're seeing from Urban Meyer is that he's a great football mind. Um, he can be that way. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of things that have to go into account in being, a, you know, into a successful NFL coach. You know, obviously at the college level, there are a lot of things that you can kind of get away with in terms of just recruiting and building a roster. But the NFL, you got to be able to do just more than just X's and O's. You know, you got to be able to coach and manage a team, but also look good in doing so and keep yourself as a strong leader. And so, you know, I don't think that Jaguars should be moving on from Meyer. I think that's kind of a little bit too far of a stretch right now. What I will say is that, you know, you've just got to see Urban Meyer and this team respond accordingly. Urban Meyer needs to be better um, going forward, trying to keep this team motivated. Because based on the recent things that have come out, you know, a lot of players are on the on the edge probably with Urban Meyer and how things have been kind of going on from a public you know, point of view and what the Jaguars are kind of having to do right now releasing statements and unnamed sources talking about Urban Meyer, you know, there's got to be something better uh, going forward. They need to start finding ways to obviously win football games, um, but they need Urban Meyer and the kind of culture that he is building to be better to, to start producing or at least show some signs of progress, you know. So, you know, I think he's a good coach. He's got you know, obviously a great heart. Obviously, he's been through a lot of those health issues as well, you know. So, 
the rigors of the NFL game, the speed of the game, the adjustments, the timeouts, you know, the you know those heartbreaking moments. You know, you just hope that Urban Meyer can just kind of find himself, you know, kind of navigate all through that. And it's going to take, obviously, a lot more from the front office to support him. So, you know, heading into this week, they just really have to get back on the same page. Uh, and Urban Meyer needs to be really locked in and, and looking to, you know, continue to, you know, help in the development of Trevor Lawrence and this offense. You just want to see them be a little bit better and players should be kind of coming together knowing that they have a strong head coach, a strong leader in place and so he's going to have to really do a, a lot especially this week considering how things have transpired as of recently since last Thursday uh, he's got to find a way to get himself going the right direction and I think he will um, but I don't think the Jaguars should be moving on from him this season they need to give him the full chance to have this full season play out the way it's going to play out try to win some games try to build something here with Trevor Lawrence um, and you just hope that going forward the decision making for Urban Meyer will be much better and a lot of players will eventually start to buy into him uh, more than they are doing right now